Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join with us, and let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us here this morning. And welcome to our campuses over in Stevens Point and Appleton. Good morning to you as well. Trust the service is being meaningful for you. Today is Missions Sunday. We always take a special offering at the end of the service one Sunday a month. Just money that's above and beyond our normal budget to give, uh, to support missions, outreaches all over the world. Our update today numbers are, we are now up to $135,000 for the year, over 112 last year. So praise the Lord for that. Your money helps make a difference as we minister to people all over the world, starting in our own uh, area as well. We have home missions, different projects that we do. One of them is supporting Jimmy Bratcher. He uh, goes, as many of you know, uh, into all kinds of weird places <laughs> that uh, most of us wouldn't be able to get into because uh, of his blues guitar playing and stuff. Uh, I have the uh, privilege and fun to be able to join in every once in a while throughout the year. We just got back from the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally, uh, where Jimmy and the band, we opened for the Doobie Brothers uh, on a Monday night. Lots of doobies in the crowd, I must admit. And uh, anyway, it was, it was a lot of fun. But here we are sharing the gospel of Jesus. Just jam. They love the music, they're listening, and uh, it's very cool. Uh, it was neat, because when the Doobie Brothers came out, they started out with, Jesus is just all right. We're like, oh, yeah. Anyways, anyways, it was a lot of fun. So, uh, what am I talking about? Um, significant events of the Old Testament. We're continuing our series. We started uh, <laughs> at the beginning of this year, and I'm sure we'll go into next year. But that's all right. We'll take our time. We want to learn the Bible. And we're looking at significant events of the Old Testament. We're not going to go through the entire Old Testament, but just the points that... Wow, everybody should know these accounts and what happened. Uh, now we, we've gone through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name becomes Israel. That's why it's called the nation of Israel. Israel has uh, two wives who also give him their servants as wives. So there's four wives. They all wind up having 12 sons. Uh, we know of one daughter that is named Dinah because we talked about that story last week. But there's undoubtedly lots of daughters uh, if not even more than the sons. It's just in that culture, they don't mention the girls <clears throat> like they do the guys. Anyway, it is what it is. So uh, uh, we got through all that. Now, um, uh, Leah was the, the not-so-pretty sister, and Rachel was the pretty, pretty sister. Leah winds up having most of the kids, uh, then the other servants, and then finally Rachel has two. The first one is Joseph. The second one is Benjamin. She dies in childbirth with Benjamin. Very sad. But anyway, now the story starts to shift dramatically to Joseph. Uh, 
He's the next guy we're going to really focus in on because this leads to the key event of the Old Testament, Moses receiving the Ten Commandments. Who is Moses? Who are these people? Why are they slaves? What are they doing in Egypt in the first place? All of that is answered in Genesis. That's the point of that. Otherwise, all the stuff doesn't make any sense. So now we are, they're living in the land of Canaan. How do they wind up in Egypt? Well, it is all tied to the life of Joseph, one of the most fascinating and inspiring events in the Old Testament. We'll just start with the first part of it, because then they immediately insert another chapter, which we're also going to do today, and uh, it's a little colorful, so the second half of today's message is going to be a little bit on the R-rated side. I will do my best to push it into PG-13, but uh, if you're uncomfortable with that, you've got 15 minutes. All right, so <laughs> head for the door. Let's pick it up. Now, Genesis 37, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed. It was the land of Canaan. Now, this is the account of Jacob's family line. This is all this has been, you know, as we're following these 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph is now a young man of 17. He's tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, which are the two servant girls that these two sisters gave to Jacob as additional wives because they wanted more babies. They were in the baby wars, and because they were their servants, any children they had was credited to that sister. Oh, nuts. Anyway, so that's how they wound up with 12 boys. Uh, so he's out there, and he's hanging with his brothers, uh, obviously half-brothers, but uh, related uh, from Bilhah and Zilpah. And he brought their father a bad report about them. So Joseph is a tattletale. He comes back, la, 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 and nobody likes a tattletale. So... Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. He was the very favored one because he was born to him in his old age, Benjamin as well, but he really zeroed in on Joseph. He made an ornate robe for him. It was a robe of many colors and in that culture. And, and Jacob, who is Israel now, is an extremely wealthy man. One of the ways of displaying wealth in that culture, and really for thousands, even at Jesus' time, was what you wore. If you could wear a colorful outfit, because they didn't have colors. As I look around here, and if I could see in Stephen's went apple, there we got all kinds of colors. Colors are nothing today, but thousands of years ago, it was a big stinking deal. Everybody just wore just whatever drab thing everybody had, unless you had money, and then you could afford to get an outfit with colors. So anyway, she gives Joseph this garment, and it's all colorful. And uh, so when their brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. They also hated him because he was a tattletale. And they also hated him because he had a big mouth, which we're about to read next. <coughs> Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. <laughs> so we're ratcheting up on the hate scale here. Let's hate and then hate and hate. So they're up to hate. Uh, so Joseph had a dream. He told it to his brothers. And he said to them, listen to this dream I had. Really, Joseph, be quiet. But he's got to tell them. We're binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around my own and bowed, bowed down to it. Well, his brothers really got torqued. Do you intend to reign over us? You're going to actually rule us? And they hated him all the more. So we're up to the fourth level of hate because of his dream and what he had said. Then he has another dream. Seriously, the boy can't keep it to himself. And he says, this time I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to us, referring to his mother and father. Uh, when he told his father this, then the, 
the father got ticked and he rebuked him. What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, uh, so they're really ticked at him at this point. They don't like him. These dreams that he had, by the way, there's a lot of sermon stories that are taught about Joseph's dreams and encouraging people to follow their dreams. I think it's a bunch of nonsense. I will preach more about the nonsense. This isn't about following, gee, I want to be a rock star someday kind of nonsense. All right? These dreams weren't those kinds of dreams. They were prophetic dreams, right? He has this prophetic dream that comes from God, sticks in his mind of all his family bowing down before him. And this eventually happens. We'll get to that as we get into the story. So now anyway, his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem and Israel, that's Jacob's name, now it's called Israel, says to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. He says, okay. So he says to his son, go and see that all is well with your brothers and with the flocks. Bring word. Let me know how they're doing. So he sends them off. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields. <laughs> He's kind of lost. He said, what are you looking for? Because I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? Oh, they moved on from here. He said, I heard one of them say, that, you know, let's go down to Dotham. All of this is just south of Chicago, by the way. So Joseph <laughs> went after his brothers. They found him near Dothan. And when they saw him in the distance, they, before they reached him, they saw him coming, and they plot to kill him. Now, we're talking the highest level of hate in this world. They really hate him. Now, this family, God bless them, are dysfunctional at all kinds of levels. Uh, but these are God's people, right? Uh, gives the rest of us hope. So anyway, they want to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him. And throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal ate him up. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Well, when Reuben heard this, one of the brothers, he tried to rescue his little brother from their hands. Don't take his life. Don't shed any blood. Just throw him in a cistern here in the wilderness. But don't lay hands on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So that was his plan. Just throw him in the ditch, you know, and you know, I'll come back later and take him back to Pops. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the nice pretty robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. I'm not sure what he thought was going on, but that's where he winds up. The cistern was empty. There's no water in it, so he doesn't drown. But he's in this deep hole. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balms, and myrrh, and they're on their way to take them down to Egypt. <laughs> Probably even had music like that. <laughs> so anyway, they see these guys coming, and Judah says to his brothers, hey, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? I got a better idea. Let's sell him. <laughs> That's brotherly love. I'm not going to kill you, but I will sell you off. So, Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. We won't lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. He's our brother. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. His brothers will go, good plan. So when the Midianite merchants came by, the brothers pulled him out of the cistern, sold him off for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben, the other brother, he wasn't there when they did this. He was the one who was planning to save him. He goes back to the cistern. Joseph isn't there. He freaks out. He tears his clothes. Ah, because this is what they do. To this day, when you see on the news people in the Middle East getting mad, they throw dirt in the air and they rip their clothes and that, they still do this to this day. 
This, this is culture that goes back thousands of years. When you're torqued, you rip your clothes. And so that's what he does. So he goes back to his brothers. The boy isn't there. <laughs> He's freaking out. And uh, then they got Joseph's robe. You know, what am I going to say to dad? He's freaking out. So they took Joseph's robe. They slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in the blood, and they took the ornate robe back to their father and said, hey, we found this. Examine it to see if it's your son's robe. Does this look familiar? What a bunch of nimrods. Like, how many colorful robes are out in the middle of the desert? Found his colorful robe. I don't know if this is familiar to you. And right away, Pop recognizes it. And he said, this is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Surely Joseph has been torn to pieces. And then Jacob, of course, tore his clothes. Because that's what these people do. And he puts on sackcloth and he mourns for his son for a minute. He's crying, he's weeping. Now you gotta be one cold-hearted snake of a son to see your old father mourning and crying and grieving and you're not telling him that the son's still alive. They don't say anything to him. All his sons and daughters. See, I told you there's lots of girls involved in this. They're just not named. There's probably more daughters than there are sons if you look at the timeline. Uh, so they all come to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he says, I'll continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. And so his father wept, and those boys don't say a word to him. A bunch of rats. Anyway, meanwhile, the Midians sold Joseph in, to, in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. That's how Joseph gets to Egypt, eventually how they all get to Egypt, and how Pharaoh eventually takes an entire nation and enslaves them in Egypt for 400 years until Moses comes and says, let my people go. <laughs> so this is how it all happens. Now, it stops and sticks in this next story. And then we'll pick up the rest of Joseph. It's an incredible story. But then this is the R-rated chapter. This is now we're focusing on Judah. There's 12 tribes. There's 12 sons. Judah uh, becomes a major tribe, a major part of Israel, of the, of the nation of Israel. What basically happens eventually is Israel becomes split. You've got like the north and the south, kind of like back Civil War kind of thing. Uh, you've got the 11 tribes of the north, Israel, the Bible refers to them, and then you've got the uh, kingdom of Judah. And Judah is like a big yoma. The kingdom of Judah is, dominates all the others. Uh, it's a big deal. Eventually, King David comes from this line of Judah. Eventually the land is referred to as Judea, the land of Judea when Jesus comes. That starts to ring a bell, right? And Judeans are eventually referred to as Jews. That's how you get Jews from Judea, from the nation of Israel, even to this day. That's where all these names and phrases come from. So let's take a look at Judah. Now, at that time, Judah left his brothers and went to stay with a man of Adullam named Hira. And there Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He says, she's a pretty girl. So he marries her and makes a love to her. And uh, it probably sounded like that. Anyway, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son who was named Ur. <laughs> Keep it simple. What's his name? Ur. So, uh... So, so she conceives again, gives birth to a son named Onan, and gives birth yet to another son named Shelah, or however you pronounce it, I have no idea. I don't want to say Sheila, it sounds like a woman. 
So anyway, Judah got a wife for Ur. Ur, Ur gets big enough. Let's go get him a wife. Uh, so he go gets a wife, and her name is Tamar. Tamar, this is a big deal, this girl. Remember the name Tamar. All right? But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Now, what happens? I don't know. Does he just fall over of a heart attack? I have no idea. Uh, again, you have to look at the context. Oftentimes, everything that happens in the Old Testament is always God to these people. A fly lands on your nose, the Lord sent a fly. Now, sometimes the Lord did send the fly. You've got to look at the context and really see what happened. This guy is wicked. Says, God, kill him. Does God do that? I don't know. If God killed wicked people, half of you wouldn't be here. All right? So, starting with me. <laughs> He'd off me a long time ago. You know what I'm saying? Ugh, get rid of him. All right. One less Puerto Rican. So, uh, where am I? I don't know what I'm talking about here. So he gets Tamar. So he dies. Now, to clear it up, look at what Jesus says in Luke, the 13th chapter. Now, there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. What does that mean? These guys are worshiping the Lord in the temple, and they got sacrifices of their sacrifice. And Pilate, for whatever reason, is horted. These guys comes in, his servants, his soldiers kill them all. Their blood's all mixed with their sacrifice. It's an awful, terrible thing. Everybody knew about this. Oh, what a horrible thing. So they assumed God did this to them because this is what they've been doing for thousands of years in the Old Testament. Jesus said, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Jesus says, I tell you, no. It wasn't God who did this to them. He says, unless you repent, you too will all perish. Well, what about those 18 guys who died when the Tower of Shiloh fell over on them? That's got to be a bad day. Look at that tower. Is it getting closer? And they're all dead, all right? So they say, well, God killed them all. He says, no, 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 no. He says, I tell you, No. Unless you repent, you too will perish. So Jesus comes along. He starts straightening out their concept of God in many dramatic ways. Having said all that, there were definitely times in the Old Testament when God did off people. <laughs> but because they were directly rebelling. I mean, if God Almighty shows up in your house tonight and tells you in the morning, I want you to drive over to Madison. And tomorrow morning you go, I don't feel like driving. That's a bad day for you, all right? Okay, now we don't live like that because none of us have people say, oh, I wish God would appear to me. You watch what you wish for, okay? You start messing with the Almighty, this is a bad thing for you. Now, the guy's a bad guy, he dies. Did God kill him? I don't know. All I know is he offs and he's dead. And this probably happens right after he marries the girl because she doesn't even conceive yet. So she, Tamar marries Ur, and all of a sudden, Ur drops over dead. Okay, now, uh, let's go back to verse 8 now. Then Judah said to Onan, son number 2, Well, then you sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. So this was tradition. This is what they did. If your brother's wife does not conceive and he dies, it's your job, the next one in line, to make sure she conceives and has a son. All kind of creepy. But... Uh, why is this a big deal? Because in these days, without a son, a woman was toast. It was, it was a big deal. Today we have 401ks, we've got welfare, we've got social security. You wanted social security in these days? You had kids. This is what took care of you in your old age. In fact, uh, when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, he made it a law. When we say 
thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. It's not talking about little boys and girls getting their butts smacked if they don't do the right thing. It's literally talking about financially supporting your parents. Now, again, we live in a different culture today and different financial structure, although if you're able to and your parents are in trouble, the moral thing is to help your family, okay? Even the New Testament talks about it. But that's what, this is what they did. Without a child, they were destitute in poverty uh, because they'd have no one to help take care of them in their old age. So it's a big deal. They need sons. Uh, so anyway, this is the thing. So Judah comes to Owen and says, okay, you're on the batter's box. Step up. It's your turn to bat. So, now, Onan knew, this is verse 9. I'm not going to read verse 9 because it's really graphic. <laughs> Go home and read it yourself. <laughs> but let me give you the King James version. It's a little obscured, the phraseology. It says, Onan made love to her but would spill his seed. If you don't know what that means, good for you. The rest of you know what I'm talking about. He did the deed but would rob her of any chance to conceive. Uh, and then it says, uh, verse 10, what he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death too. Now, in this case, I would say this could be much more dramatically where God probably really did show up and off this guy. Why? These people were told by God himself that their seed would now go on to bless the entire world to be the seed of the Messiah. You were not to uh, rob uh, and you weren't supposed to rob these women of the ability to have sons in this way. What he did was very, very wrong. He just, I don't know these guys with their brothers. I mean, these people had real issues, right? He didn't want, cause he didn't want his, his seed to go to his brother. So he's just being a jerk. So it says, God offs this guy. So now Judah then says to his daughter-in-law, by the way, this whole spilling of seed thing, uh, this is why many churches are opposed, like the Catholic Church or something like that, to birth control and stuff. Or while they say God's going to kill you if you self-gratify, uh, which you shouldn't be doing anyway for a hundred reasons. We won't get into that today. All right? But this is why they take these stands. Except I think they're missing it. This was, by the way, they were, this was a version of birth control even way back then. That wasn't the problem. The problem was he wasn't supposed to do this with her. Okay? It wasn't the fact that what happened to a seed, what was the problem was he was robbing her of this opportunity and disobeying the rules and messing up the whole system. That's why he gets offed. That's our viewpoint as Protestants. That's why Protestants don't have problems with birth control. We think this stuff has happened since the beginning to the best of one's ability, uh, if that was so what you chose. What got him in trouble was not fulfilling his obligation to this woman. Hopefully that helps people. Everyone's a people say, oh, God, we don't believe in this. That's, that's the thing. Now, again, some churches, not just Catholics, believe that's all the sin of Onan, and you can't ever do that, and God's going to be really mad at you if you do that. That's not our view, but it wasn't about what happened to his seed. It was what happened, the fact that he was robbing this girl and not doing what he's supposed to do. So now he's dead. Now Judah then says to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, look, just continue to live as a widow in your father's house until Shelah grows up. So, so here's the deal. You got son number one, he drops over dead. Some number two drops over dead. Then there's a little boy. He says to her, look, just wait till he grows up and then he gets you. I said, well, how old is this? Oh, look, she probably was 14 by the time she got handed over. They were really young when they got married off. The kid could have been 10. It was a matter of waiting, you know, five, six, seven, eight years. It wasn't that big a deal. It wasn't like she was an old lady or anything. She's still very much a young woman. Uh, but um, so Judah tells her this. 
wait for son three and he'll grow up and then, and then we'll take care of you this way. Uh, but when he grows up, he doesn't do it. Now, in all fairness to Judah, think it through. This woman is the black widow as far as he's concerned. <laughs> right? Son number one marries her. He's dead. Son number two steps up. Now he's dead. I ain't giving you the third one. You know what I'm saying? So that's what he's thinking. So he basically robs her of this opportunity. Well, verse 12, after a long time, Judah's wife, the son of Shua, dies. So now Judah's own wife dies. And after he'd recovered from his grief, who knows how long they mourned and stuff like that. Anyway, so he's without a woman for a while. So he's jonesing, if you know what I mean. I told you this was R-rated, all right? So he's going up to Timnah. Now, verse 13, when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way up to Timnah to shear sheep, she comes up with a plan. So she goes and she gets out of her widow's clothes and puts on prostitute clothes with a veil across her face, which apparently kept him from recognizing her, which meant the veil stayed on the whole time. This wasn't lovemaking. This was slam, bam, thank you, ma'am. Okay, you know what I'm saying? She's servicing. That's what she does. So she knows he's jonesing. She dresses up like a prostitute. So she sits out there waiting to capture him as he goes walking by. Very weird creepy. <laughs> All right. So he's coming along. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute for her face was covered, not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law. And he goes over there and says, hey, baby, come on. And it says, let me sleep with you. I promise you there was no sleeping involved. Uh, and how much, how much are you going to charge? What are you going to give me? She says, he said, well, I'll give you a young goat for my flock, which was pretty decent money in those days. And she says, well, what are you going to give me as a pledge until you give me the goat? And verse 18 says, well, what do you want? And she says, well, give me your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand. This is really identified with him personally. So he gives them to her. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant, which was the plan on her end. After she left, she took off the veil, put back on her widow's clothing. So nobody knows anything about this. She does this all on her own, out of pure desperation. There's nothing love. There's nothing. And as creepy as it sounds, she is desperate. She has no son. He has robbed her of the third boy. She's headed for a life of unbelievable poverty as her, after her father dies. I mean, she's toast. So she does this desperate act. So now, uh, meanwhile, Judah sends the goat by his friend in order to get back the pledge from the woman. He gets there, he asks the man, hey, where's that shrine prostitute who is by the road? And they say, there ain't no shrine prostitutes around here. So he goes back to Judah and says, I didn't find her. Besides the men there says, ain't no prostitutes around here. And then Judah says, well, let her keep it, who cares, blah, 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 blah. So anyway, three months later, verse 24, Judah told, hey, your daughter-in-law is pregnant. She must be guilty of prostitution. Well, so she starts to show, right? How did this happen? This is outrageous. This is horrible. So Judah says, bring her out and have her burned to death. Now you have got to be one hypocritical piece of caca. <laughs> when your response to this after you are the one who impregnates her, it's okay for him to go to a prostitute, right? But if she gets pregnant, let's kill her. 
You can see why it's so dramatic when Jesus came along and started raising women up. And in the New Testament said, there is no difference between men and women in the kingdom of God. Anyone who says Christianity put down, puts down women are delusional. That is not what it teaches. The Old Testament, holy cow, that was brutal. So anyway, where am I? <laughs> so bring it down. So let's, let's toast this chick. But by the way, have you ever noticed it's the people who are usually the most guilty of stuff that are the meanest people towards others? Did you follow that? Some of you geezers my age. You may, <laughs> rest of you can take a nap. <laughs> you remember uh, Jimmy Swag, or uh, uh, what's his name? Jim Baker. And he has this affair with this girl. And everybody's shocked, you know, as is the case. And, and then Jimmy Swaggart, who's like the top evangelist of the world at that time, comes on TV and just starts to skewer him. It is brutal. I remember looking at Dev and says, what is he doing? We don't react that way to people? Was he what he did right? No, but we don't kill our own wound and attack. What's the matter with him? Turns out Swaggart's seeing prostitutes. Right? And then I went, oh, that's why he was such a jerk. Don't you go be mean on people. And I was talking to this about Pastor, with Gary. Pastor Gary, he went with me to Sturgis uh, to this thing with Jimmy. And we're talking about this whole thing about, uh, you know, why, why some Christians are so mean, particularly like of homosexuals or transgender or something like that. And I am convinced one of the reasons some of these people are so mean and nasty is because of their sin. They've got their own junk and stuff like that. And rather deal with it, they like to attack and tear down other people. Don't you do that. Heaven said, what a bunch of hypocrites. <laughs> Yelling at people and condemning people, sending everybody to hell and says, man, what, what's going on in your life? So, of course, Judah, he wants to toast this chick because he's guilty of sin. And people who are guilty of sin are the ones who are the most uncompassionate, mean, nasty, unforgiven people in the world. You would think the opposite, wouldn't you think? You would think, man, I got issues, right? I forgive everybody. I got to forgive everybody. You know why? Because I got issues. We just prayed, Father, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. Why do I forgive people against me? Because I got issues. <laughs> and I want all my sins forgiven, right? All right? Be nice to people. Let stuff go. I'm not going to forgive that guy. Goes, really? Because you just prayed, God, don't forgive me if I don't forgive others. And listen to what you're saying. You need to forgive people. Anyways, ah, let's bring her out and barbecue this chick. Verse 25, as she's being brought out, she sends a message to her father-in-law. Hey, pops, I got, a, I got a confession. I'm pregnant by the man who owns these. <laughs> you got to add it to this girl. She's a sharp one, right? She has thought this all through. Well, when Judah recognized him, he goes... Oh, boy. <laughs> She's more righteous than I am. Since I wouldn't give her my... Right away, he knew the motive. The reason she did this, because I wouldn't give, him, give her my third son. And, of course, he had nothing more to do with her. But, uh, so anyway, she goes on, and she gives birth to these twin boys named Perez and Zerah. See, Pastor, why is all this important? This is a major event of the Old Testament. As disgusting as it was, and I gave you the PG version of it. Read Matthew. Look at Matthew, the first chapter. This is the beginning. We read this 
almost every year at Christmas time. This is a Christmas story. This is how the Christmas story starts out. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. This now becomes the line of the Messiah. This jacked up, dysfunctional mess God uses to bring the Son of God into the world. Look in Revelations. This is the last book of the Bible. John, right? He's all, the, all these visions of the future. He's in heaven and he's seeing stuff. I mean, he's like, woo, it's like a big acid trip. You read this thing, it's like, it's creepy. And he's seeing stuff and at one point, they want to see what's in this scroll and nobody can open the scroll. And, and, and John's so upset, he starts crying. It says in verse four of chapter five of Revelation, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll, look inside. And then one of the elders says to me, hey, don't weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. Talking about Jesus. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. The Bible in the New Testament now refers romantically to Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah. There are wonderful songs about the lion of the tribe of Judah. Some of the most prudish, uptight Christians in the world celebrate the lion of the tribe of Judah. But what they don't realize is every time they talk about the lion of the tribe of Judah, they're talking about this jacked up, messed up mess that happened way back then. What's the point? The point is this. No matter where you are, God can overcome any of your circumstances. No matter what your history, no matter what you've done. Because sometimes people say, oh, Pastor, I made so many mistakes. I've done so many wrong things. God can't do anything with me. I've been divorced 37 times. You know, I just, you know, oh, it's just, it's just off. No, 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 no. When you come to Christ, the Bible says, all old things are passed away. Behold, everything becomes New. So, well, Pastor, I, I was adopted. I don't even belong here. You know, so what? I never met my birth father. So what? Means nothing. God still values you. So, Pastor, my parents told me I was a mistake. Well, you weren't a mistake. You might have been an oops. <laughs> but <laughs> nobody's a mistake. Oops happen. <laughs> By the way, he can't hear me because he's working with the children. Our, our dear friend, Luke Hoppy, does the uh, children's ministry over at our Appleton campus. And uh, Luke's next oldest sibling was 20 years old when he was born. <laughs> that would put Luke in the oops category. <laughs> oh, man. Go play with your brother. He's driving a car. What am I supposed to do? You know? <laughs> That's, that's a gap. That's a gap. It might have been an oops to your parents, but not to Jesus, not to God. You're here on purpose. I don't care what your background is. I don't care how jacked up your family is. I don't care what a dysfunctional mess your life has been from the get-go. You are valuable. You are precious. And God can take your life and make it into something so beautiful, you'll never be able to comprehend it. That is the disturbing story of Judah and Tamar. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness and your grace. Lord, 
I pray everyone here would get a picture of how much you care about them, how much you love them. Lord, sometimes we're surrounded by such junk in our lives. It feels like we can't overcome it. The mistakes we've made, the faults we have, the dysfunction we come out of, the devil comes and in his guilt and condemnation makes us feel like we're worthless and we have no hope. But Lord, it's so wonderful to read the scriptures and see how you use some of the most jacked up, messed up, dysfunctional people in the world. And while many would look at this story as a, an embarrassment and a shame, the scriptures refer to you in heaven as the lion of the tribe of Judah. You set right what is wrong. God, fill people's hearts with faith today. Let them know they are valued and loved by you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you.